The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Raising the Bar with your host, Amy Bredo. Do you ever listen to that inner voice? The one that tells you that you can achieve great things just by giving yourself a little push? Making that voice heard is what this show is all about. What if you could turn your negatives into positives? You'll hear from others who have embraced that personal drive and will help you raise the bar. Now, here is Amy Bredo. Good morning, everybody, and happy Thursday. We are coming to you live today. It is so great to be back with a fresh new show. We had a few weeks off where we were doing some replays, so pretty excited to be back today. Today's guest is um, going to share with us some things that are pretty close to my heart. As a lot of you know, um, I'm very involved with just advocacy for vulnerable children, whether they're in foster care, orphaned, uh, going through the adoption process, and so on. So this is pretty exciting for me to be able to speak with her. Our guest today is Shenandoah Sheffalo. She's a graduate of Michigan State University. Um, She's actually a survivor and an alumni of the foster care system. So I think this is going to be pretty interesting to speak with her. She has a Bachelor of Arts um, in interdisciplinary studies and social science. She has a Core Essentials graduate certificate from Coach U. So she's a, a coach, a mentor. She's also a speaker for um, you know advocacy and the foster care movement. You know, Shenandoah, I wanted to welcome you to the show. I also wanted to touch base on the fact that you are an author and have a great book out called The Garbage Bag Suitcase. And this is a book that is about your time um, before, during, and after or since foster care, correct? It is. So thanks for having me on the show this morning, Amy. I appreciate it, and I'm looking forward to our conversation. Me too. Me too. So, you know, what I really wanted to dive into in these, um, you know, segments that we've got is just sharing your story. I know when you and I were able to speak outside of this broadcast, you know, I, like you, really want to share my story with people so that it can maybe encourage or inspire others, but um, maybe just give us kind of the background, like what was going on with your family or in your life that even led you into foster care in the first place? Sure. Well, I was originally born in San Diego, California, and uh, lived with my biological mother during that time. Um, her and my, fa- my biological father were married at one time and at some point when I was a small child, separated and divorced, or maybe never divorced, we don't really know. Okay. And, um, you know, I, I remained with my biological mother, moving over 50 times in my lifetime and transferring to over 37 schools across the country during that oh time gosh. as well. So a, a very dysfunctional upbringing. My mother had a very deep substance abuse, both alcohol and drug substance abuse problems. 
and probably some underlying um, mental health issues as well. So okay. it was a very hectic, chaotic, dysfunctional, abusive upbringing with my biological mother, whom I lived with until I was 13. When I was ultimately abandoned, she kind of just disappeared. And then due to circumstances, I had to self-report myself to the foster care system at 13. Oh, my gosh. Are you the only child? I'm curious. Um, I have a half-brother. We shared the same mother but have different fathers who is uh, five years older than me. Um, okay. Who I talk about in the book is, is very on again, off again in our lives. Um, okay. He kind of has his own dysfunctional journey. And so Absolutely. we're not always together. And by the time I go into care, he's actually already 18 and kind of out on his own doing his own thing. Okay, so he wasn't growing up with you throughout all those moves and throughout your childhood up until the age of 13. Yeah, I mean, he was there sometimes, and he was he was surely there for some of it, but he was not always there. We were not always living in the same household. Okay, so through this kind of pattern of abuse and, um, you know, I, I know through experience of others and even my own experience, when you have a, a, a drug or alcohol dependent parent, there's sometimes as a kid where you're put into adult situations that you should never be present for, you know, was this a situation where you were, did you have to like kind of clean up your mother's mess? Were you very independent from a young age, getting yourself ready, you know, making sure there was something to eat? Was there anything to eat? I mean, was it a, a case of where your mom had moments of being lucid and responsible or was this really just, uh, there you know, were, there were moments of, of lucidness. I don't know if responsibleness ever <laughs> entered the picture. <laughs> um, but you know, what's interesting is, is that as a child, right, that just seems normal to you. Right. So of course, looking back, you say, well, sure. Most six year olds don't uh, get themselves up for school and walk themselves to school, I suppose. But when you grow up in that environment, it is so normal that it doesn't it doesn't seem abnormal until you realize other people don't live that way, <laughs> which comes much later in life. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, most of my meals I, I fended for myself. I was a fairly independent kid, um, spent much of my time riding my bike around the neighborhood, spending time at the library, you know, places where kids can go um, without anyone really ever saying anything. It's interesting in the in the um, generation that I think you and I are pretty close to the same age, even, you know, it's interesting that, that in those times, kids riding around on their bikes or being at the library or being places alone were, um, I think, more unnoticed than they are these yeah. days. I, 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 and sometimes yeah. I feel like kids are over, over-parented sometimes, too, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> um, the, the, the norm was so different. Yeah, I mean, nobody ever said anything. Nobody said, gee, you know, I, I spent lots of times in libraries. It was a big part of my growing up. Nobody ever questioned that I was there. You know, I could, anywhere I could ride my bike or take my two feet was allowable. So, um, you know, it was, it was just part of how I grew up. Again, very different from now. I could never imagine my own 14-year-old daughter being allowed to just ride her bike wherever it might take her. Um and, and nobody questioned that. And, you know, for sure, if I saw a young child, especially, you know, under 10, I would probably say, so oh, what's going on and start a conversation with them. But it was different times. And, 
You know, so things where you say, gee, how come a red flag never went up? How come a teacher never said anything? You know, with that many moves, there are schools where I was attending for a week or a month or sometimes even a day, but nobody ever said anything. And and frankly, had I not reported myself to care, nobody would have ever said, and I don't, I think I would have just slipped through the cracks completely. You know, that's really terrifying to me because I think when you say you were abandoned, um, you know, we have about five minutes or so before we go to break, but when you say you were abandoned, did your mom just disappear? Was she just, was she around but not functioning? You know, I know that there's been situations where... No, at this this particular point, when before I reported myself to care, it had actually been sent, we were living back in Michigan, I'd been sent back to California to stay with an aunt for the summer. Uh, had been put on a plane back to Michigan. And when I arrived back, nobody was there. And so Were you able to get in? Yeah, I I actually took the city bus to my grandmother's house um, from the airport and stayed with my grandmother, who was living in senior housing at the time. And she, you know, she was being threatened with, you know, you're going to have to vacate. You can't have this child living here, which is what prompted me to call CPS in the first place. Um, but my mom just disappeared, and, and I had been in the system probably about two or three months before she kind of reappeared again, you know, to make another move, a new boyfriend, the whole thing to a new state, um, and I just told her I wasn't going, and that was the last time I saw her. Oh, my gosh. Okay. I just want to make sure I understand the whole picture. So you went to spend the summer in California. You came back to Michigan Nobody was there to pick you up at the airport, obviously. Um, right. Did you, did you know to, to go right to your grandma, or did you go home first? No, I went to my grandmother's. We, we hadn't had a stable place to live in quite some oh. time before me going um, to California. So there was no place to really go okay. home to um, that I was aware of, right? I didn't know what had happened while I was gone. This is way before we had cell phones and social media, so you don't get to know what's going on at home when you're not there. Um, But again, you know, so there I was 13, which seems very young to me now, but at the time it was just so normal, right? It was like, oh, I'll just go to my grandmother's. Like there was no panic. I wasn't scared about it. It just was the way life was. Right. That makes sense to me. Um, That makes, yeah. It makes sense to me because you just do what you know, like you said, you know, so in this, in this process, you know, we have a few moments and I might, I'm in in our next segment, I want to backtrack and ask you some questions as we lead into um, your experience in the foster care system, but how are friendships for you? And, And I know in times where you're only living a place for a week, you can't make them you know, or establish a, a really, you know, significant friendship. But in the times where you were in places for months or riding your bikes, did you feel like you um, got attached to any friends or did you basically just keep to yourself because of, you know, riding your bike to the library? Was that safer? Yeah, it was. You know, there's this line in my book um, that I'll just read you real quick that says, depending on the day, I might have five minutes or five hours to say my goodbyes to friends or acquaintances I might have. Usually there wasn't time, and truthfully, I never knew what to say anyway. And I think that kind of perfectly sums it up. Like, it it was just easier not to make friends. (laughs) It it became because when you had friends, it was hard to say goodbye. You didn't know what to say. People wanted explanations. 
there was no explanation you could give. It didn't make sense to you. So how are you going to make it make sense to somebody else? Um, so as the years go by, it just becomes easier to become more and more isolated and not to connect with any of the people around you. That makes sense. You know, I went to four different first grades and I thought that was a lot. It is a lot, actually. <laughs> it is, <laughs> it a, is lot. a lot. Not in comparison to, to your 37 schools, which that's pretty impressive. <laughs> you know, I, uh, um, forgive me, I use humor as my coping mechanism. <laughs> for yeah, many situ- well, me too. Many su- I mean, listen, I'm, I'm always up to the challenge of someone who's been to more than 37 schools. I don't remember <laughs> up against anybody else's. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, in our few moments, um, what I would like to touch on when we come back, because, well, we have about a little bit, about a minute here, is I want to know, I want to let people know where they can find you. Uh, I want to pe- let people know where they can find your book. So let's talk about Garbage Bag Suitcase quickly. Is that something that they can find on Amazon or is it just an ebook? It- nope, it, they absolutely can find it on Amazon, available for purchase as a hard book if they're old school like me, or they can I download it. it to their Kindle as well. Okay. Oh, perfect. Okay. Please forgive me. I know, you know, I really feel um, the universe was working in our, in our favor because I was so excited to have you on the show and I've been on a business trip this week and I apologize and I want to be transparent that I haven't had the chance to read your book yet. I, I am going to read it because I know it will probably spark a lot about my own experience in some ways. So I, I like to have that bond with people in kind of some kind of weird way, but I want to understand more about you too and how maybe that can help me serve other people that I come into contact with. Um, I, I see you also do have an ebook called Setting Your Vision and Defining Your Goals. I think that would be really great for our listeners to look up as well because that kind of works into uh, your coaching, I think, if I, if I have yeah. that correctly. And, and again, we can available. touch back. The, the oh. ebook for the goal book is available at bookboon.com for download. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, so I want people that are hearing this to really kind of dive into Garbage Bag Suitcase so they can understand your story. But I also want them to understand that there is hope in coming out of it. And I'm excited to be able to share with our listeners your um you know, experience that you did grow up, you you did get your education, you were able to stay in a, in a place and do that and, and do some great things. Um, I also was curious about, you know, the, the families that you live with. Um, I'm looking at our time here and not seeing a message from my uh, engineer. So I'm just going to keep talking since we're live. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's talk about you going to CPS because yeah. w- did you just go to the police station? No, I made a phone call uh, to the police station. They, they sent out some CPS workers to my grandmother's uh, apartment who came out to interview me. Um, and, you know, I, again, raised in a situation where the police, you know, were not to be trusted and where authority <sighs> really wasn't to be trusted. Those were the circumstances I was raised under. You know, it was a big deal for me. And so I said very little, actually. Um, there was a, a, a lot of questions on their end and a lot of me giving yes or no responses because I felt like the, the least I said, the better, because I could always backpedal my way out of it if I needed to. Um, again, though, the way I was raised, right, my mom was, was a pretty magnificent con person and liar and and. I right. think I've picked up some of those traits from her, probably, you know, good or bad. Yeah. And um, 
So it was about saying the least and then finding placement about where you go from there. I can't, I'm listening to it and the, the, um, it's, it's like, I, I think two things. I think how you may have been like, okay, I'm going to roll with this because that's what I do. And then also there had to be some kind of a, a sense of like anxiety and fear because that is also terrifying. Uh, and I can completely understand about giving little information. I think when you're raised in situations with parents that are not stable, you learn, I always call it, you learn the behavioral tap dance. And yeah. so what, one of the things I would always say to people was I knew when to, I knew when and how to do the behavioral tap dance and I knew when to put it in the box. And I, I make jokes about putting things in the box all the time because, again, humor is an amazing coping mechanism. But, you know, that had to have been that kind of situation. So understanding that the authorities were realizing that you were with your grandma and you shouldn't have been, got them involved. You know, now we do have three minutes to the break and I want to like really dive into this and I don't want to interrupt yeah. you. But let's just do that well, I anyway. Think, I think you're filled with all types of emotion, right? There's anxiety of the what if, mm. are you doing the right thing? And, you know, an emotion that I really didn't deal with until much later was guilt. Because... Right. Again, I never really felt like my mom was a bad person or, or or did anything bad or even abandoned me. I always felt like I was the one who abandoned her. And that's Aww. a hard one for people to kind of wrap their minds around sometimes. But I kind of felt like me calling the police was kind of this lifeboat for one. And I selfishly took it for myself, knowing that I was the one who would always take care of my mom. And now I was abandoning her and who was going to take care of her. You know, when you tell me that, I completely can understand that. I'm sure a lot of people listening to are like, gosh, what was wrong with her mother? How could she live like that? And we actually (laughs) didn't even really discuss specific situations, you know, but just knowing that that you were on your own and pretty much fending for yourself. You know, it reminds me of um, another book that you may have read called The Glass Castle. Absolutely. uh, that's a great book too. So I would love people to read yeah. your book first. I don't, but you know that it's such an interesting situation for kids that grow up like that. Yeah. In fact, the reason you know I had no intent of ever writing this book. In fact, I kept it a secret for almost twenty years that I had been in foster care at all, under the guise that there was nothing to be learned from it. Right? Like sharing this information and story would not move anything further. And then I started getting encouraged to write the book by an acquaintance. And I said, well, if I'm going to write this book and we're going to talk about the train wreck that's my life, then the book has to be different from Glass Castle in this one way, which is what can we do to change the system now? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, we just have a a little bit under a minute left. So I want to let people know that they can go to garbage pack, I'm sorry, garbagebagsuitcase.com, correct? They can, yep. And read more about it. And please, please reach out on Facebook for um, Shenandoah Shuffalo, which when we come back, we will spell for you. (laughs) I (laughs) wanted to uh, just make sure that I was clear on that, that we can tell people that they can find you on social media and all that type of thing um, as well. And like I said, I want to give the details of people's, um, you know, give the details to people so that they can find you. So we're going to take a quick break because I have a lot more questions for you throughout this conversation. You are listening. Listening to Raising the Bar with Amy Bredo and my wonderful guest Shenandoah Shefflo, and we will be right back.
world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Have you considered expanding your family through adoption, but don't know where to start? Are you looking to get some answers and direction on how and where to start? Reach out to the community at the Echo Foundation. The Echo Foundation offers five distinct areas of support. For those children in need throughout the world, we are here to support you and guide you through your process and beyond. For more information, please visit amybrado.com and click on the Echo Foundation. That's amybrado.com and click the Echo Foundation. There are over 147 million orphans and at-risk children in the world. It's a global problem, but you can make a huge difference. You can help from home or on the ground serving opportunities. Please visit amybrado.com and click on the Echo Foundation tab to request more information. Our vision is to build a self-sustaining ecosystem of ideas, individuals, and organizations equipped to carry out the mission of hope for every orphan in the world. Help us with our goal of helping every child in need. Visit amybrado.com. Listening to Raising the Bar with Amy Bredo. We'd love to hear from you with any comments or questions about the show. The email address is amy.raisingthebar at gmail.com. That's amy.raisingthebar at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. guest Shenandoah Shuffalo. Today, if you're just joining us, we're talking about um, experience in the foster care system and things that Shenandoah has um, experienced, moved forward in, and how she is benefiting other foster care children now and kind of addressing this whole foster care system issue. Um, I know that in my experience, it's a pretty huge mess. Uh, I am in Illinois, so I only have some details about the Illinois foster care system, but Shenandoah, I'm so happy you're here. Thanks again for spending time with us today. I know we were talking about you um, kind of, I don't want to say turning yourself in, but kind of, you know, turning yourself in, surrendering to Child Protective Services at the age of 13. And when they decided like, yes, this is right, we need to take her in. Where do you go? How, How does that work out? My own personal foster care experiences, I actually thankfully was able to go with family and and um, I mean I was three years old and I remember that night like I could do the play-by-play in my head exactly so I can imagine how different it is yeah to a lot of times do. you end up in an office which okay um, as glamorous as it sounds right um, <laughs> waiting for them to find a placement for you uh, for myself I ended up first in kinship placement which is with a family member um, one of my mom's biological sisters was a foster parent at the time. Uh, that right. was a short-lived, ill-lived, uh, probably bad experience. It was probably oh. not the best place to put me. Um, but but on second thought, I'm not sure that the foster care system in general is good. So Ooh, um, yeah. that was originally, and then placements are found from there. So then you family hop from there. But once you're when in you your went- first placement, then you just go to your next placement. So when you went to your aunt's house, did your mom and your and her sister have a relationship? Yeah, they did. Um, in fact, they still have a relationship to this day. And okay. So it it was a, a um, 
it was pretty traumatic all the way around because, again, telling you that I felt guilty, right, for calling CPS in the first place and abandoning my mom, and then knowing that my mom's sister kind of always had this relationship uh, with my mother, you know, made it difficult to want to disclose anything further, made it difficult for me to really have closure. Ah. Um, and then ultimately, at the time, the aunt w- had a lot of teen boys, and I was the only teen girl in the home. And so oh, that, wow. that caused a lot of issues. And so ultimately, I was placed in a, a different foster family home. Was there also abuse in your aunt's home? Um, yeah, emotional abuse primarily. Um, you know, we, we didn't understand trauma, perhaps, in the ways that we understand it now. And there was a lot of, you know, empathy and sympathy for my mom and not a lot of empathy and sympathy for what I was going through. And it was very much a, you know, stop whining and, and pull yourself up by the bootstraps and keep going type of attitude. Right, um, right. And, and always the threat that you're going to be your mother. So it was twofold. Um, my aunt was a very good, what I call, armchair doctor in that okay. you know, she, she knew every mental illness you had, even though she had never set foot in a college classroom. Um, but she could diagnose you. She knew exactly what was wrong with you. Um, and so a lot of my teen years were plagued with this idea that I was manic depressive or bipolar, primarily because my aunt was constantly telling me I was. Um, and wondering when I was just going to turn into my own mother. Right. So, so that was something that was always in the back of my mind, right? This mental illness that was plaguing me. It took me until college and going to a real therapist on a college campus who said, you don't have either of these things to, to kind of um, get over that. But it was, a, it was a big deal because now there's something wrong with you. And I grew up in a time in foster care with every time you could be diagnosed with something meant that you were worth more money in the form of a check. So every time uh, something was wrong with you, you know, that's directly tied back with how much you should be receiving from the state, which is still right. very much the case now and why we see that psychotropic drugs are prescribed to children in foster care at much higher rates than the general population because it's, it's tied inter- directly to money. Yeah, I apologize for interjecting. It's interesting that you say that because I... Um, some of the parents that I know that are foster care parents, and I want to put this out there, that there are many amazing, amazing foster care families. I don't want to uh, come off as completely bashing the whole thing. And Shenandoah, the reason I do this, because I do know a few foster care families that are really great and they're doing there are, there are really good things. There are absolutely some amazing people out yeah. there. And I say it all the time because I do foster parent trainings all the time. And, okay. and when the topic comes up, foster parents say, but we're here. We're trying to learn this information. Right. You know, and I'll just use an example. I was in D.C. recently and, you know, 20,000 families in that area. And there's 40 families in the training seminar. And, and my comment is simply this. It's not the 40 who show up that I worry about. It's the 20,000 who don't show up that I worry about. <laughs> right. Right. And I know my I uh, we were exposed to. There were some neighbors um, in an area where I used to live that were foster care parents. And I know that when you parent a foster care child, it's not that people should whack their kids. I'm just saying sometimes there are situations where 
anyway, I'm not going to get into spanking kids. All I'm saying is that when, <laughs> when they would discipline the children, I would find that it was a series of um, like military exercises where mm-hmm. it would be 95 degrees outside and those kids had to run laps of the house because they had done yes. something and they had too much energy and they were on drugs. Some the, and, yeah, some of the training that we do now that I do specifically is about understanding trauma and specifically the adverse childhood experience study that came out in the late 90s and okay. how you implement that day to day. So what does that look like within your household and what okay. are things we can do? So I've actually developed a coaching model specifically for parents and social workers and those who are working with high score ACE kids to help them uh, kind of heal those kids from in a different way, but understand that, you know, just telling a kid who's in trauma brain, that's wrong, stop doing it, isn't going to make, you could say that till you're blue in the face. It's not going to work or do anything. So there, there are some new skills and things that we've developed that we can do. And it's interesting. I, Last Friday, I was in a training in Benton Harbor, Michigan, for some foster parents who were talking about, well, our foster kids lie all the time. So lying is a big thing that comes up in the foster care world an awful lot. And there's concern. And so, you know, I just worked with them. And and I said, well, what is she lying about? Well, she's lying about washing her hair. She says she washed her hair, but she comes out and her hair is, you know, dry. So we know she didn't wash her hair. Okay. And so for me, it's not really about the lie itself, but about... Why is the lie happening? Right. <laughs> and so getting people to focus on that, because usually it's focused on the lie. I, you said that, and that was a lie, and now you should be punished. And right. so we just backed up, and I kind of coached them through this coaching model themselves. And we finally realized, well, there had been some underlying issues with bathing and other homes that she had lived in, and she had, fa- in fact, been punished for using certain shampoos within that household. And so it's created this problem where now you're telling her to do it, but she's been punished in the past. So listen, we were able to come up with some solutions and a new way of questioning and and talking to that child that completely changed that family that was having a real issue with lying. But it's usually not the lie that is important, right? It's the stuff happening underneath that. And that's kind of what understanding trauma and trauma brain in these kids can help us to change the system and have some better experiences. You know, that makes my heart break. Uh, and, I, and I'm listening to you and I'm listening about these trainings and I'm like, I wish I had this training 10 years ago. <laughs> and not, I mean, I did do training. You know, I have an adopted son that was adopted at, uh, he was almost 11. So right. not, only, not only was he adopted at the age of 11, but he had come from a foreign country and he was in an orphanage for seven years, which is a completely different experience than foster care. You know, absolutely, so I, I can, but a traumatic I, experience nonetheless. Uh, absolutely, yes, yes. And so I think of some things that we have tackled over the years. And I mean, now he's almost 20. He'll be 20 in November. And he's a great kid, you know, but now we have some like adult things that I'm like, oh, yeah. where were you? You know, we we tackle it. But I think these trainings are great. So I want to encourage our listeners to really um, seek that out versus just getting frustrated. Because I bet there's a lot of situations where foster parents just get parent or I'm sorry, foster parents get frustrated and just kind of pick up and push that child forward to their next home. Well, I think so, because we try to, here's the other thing that doesn't get taken into consideration very often, which is just think about yourself and and your listeners think about where they are as adults currently in your own life. So the next stranger you pass on the road, driving, walking, wherever, 
just imagine that you had to pack all your stuff and go live with them tonight. Mm. I, mean, I can remember. Imagine that. Like, oh, go ahead. There's this immediate anxiety of, of doing that with your own adult skills and you, and you know how to like manage that stuff, right? And expectations and all of that. So as an adult, just imagine picking yourself up and going to move with a complete stranger. It's going to take some time, right, before you're comfortable and, and feel ready. And, and you might have some negative behaviors and you might give some pushback in some places, all trying to figure out how this works. And we don't really give kids a lot of time to work through that phase. We're so impatient. We think they should just show up and fit right into our families a lot of times. Right. Time. Like there should and be some kind of case. relief in them. And then you have to take in the fact that these kids were raised in situations like I was talking about before the break where abnormal things seem normal to them. And so your normal behavior may seem abnormal to them. It's very difficult for a kid who's maybe never sat at a dinner table and had dinner to experience that. And it can be very overwhelming and it can be a negative trigger for them. And then they might have a behavior or show a behavior that we don't like and then we want to punish the behavior without understanding what's happening underneath that behavior. So for right. me, I always see the behavior as a symptom of something else. And when we understand what the something else is, <laughs> then we can really fix it and work with it. But when we just see a behavior, oh, he gets angry and throws things, and then we want to punish that, that it's inappropriate to get angry and throw things, we don't get to learn about what's happening underneath that and what caused that behavior in the first time. And this happens just in our everyday lives, working with people, right? I mean, any interaction you have with somebody, you don't know where they're coming from. And that's why understanding trauma and having the skills and tools to work with somebody who has <laughs> survived me. trauma, whether they're three or whether they're 33, um, is important. I, I absolutely couldn't agree with you more. I, I can remember being in a, an adoption course that we had to take, and they literally did that. They were like, stand up, move across the room, find this stranger, put your arm around them, tell them you love them, and then go home with them. And I knew I wasn't really going to do that, but I can remember walking across the room and this man, I mean, he was a dad, not a weird, creepy person, but he yeah. like putting his arm around me and looking at me like, I love you. You're safe now. I'm going to take care of you. Come home with me. And it did give me amazing anxiety. And you're right. I was like a 32 year old woman. No, you know, and I knew I wasn't going to go home with him, but it does. It, tr it triggers those feelings. You know, were you... How many families were you with from 13 to 18? Like, so um, outside of lucky. your aunt. Yeah, I, I actually was only with two additional families. Um, but I lived by kind of the code that most foster kids live by, which is don't complain about your circumstances because the next town might be worse. Right. Um, and I was really good at that because that's what I had done for the 13 years prior in my life, right? Before Absolutely. I even yeah. went into foster care. So that was an easy code for me. So I didn't get moved a lot once I was in the foster care system, but I definitely uh, had more trauma and expounded upon the trauma that I had before going into foster care. I just didn't talk about it or deal with it. Okay. We have about four minutes till we're going to take our next break. What I want to ask you about, um, I think some things people don't realize too, is when you have trauma as a kid, a lot of times things come out sideways. So did you, 
and I mean, I know you, you laugh because you know exactly what I'm <laughs> saying. I yeah. Think. You know, so I know from my own experience of things, uh, again, we have talked about trauma as trauma, so it doesn't, you don't necessarily need to lessen it or whatever, but I can look back at my life pre-therapy and you know what honestly I think therapy is like the greatest thing and I should probably go again for the rest of my life like I just think it's such a good way to process and understand because when you understand your own stuff you know you live live better but you can help therapy's worked for you and I'm a person who has avoided therapy at all costs I have Seek out every other type of alternative. Oh, I totally thing to therapy, it anyways. <laughs> right? Because I have my own trigger with therapy itself. So it's okay. what's right for the person and what works for the person for me. Okay, so let's, in the, in the few moments we have here, too, I want our listeners, again, to be able to find you. So I'm going to spell your name correctly so that they can find you. So <laughs> everybody listening, Shenandoah Shefflo, she's beautiful, she's intelligent, she's here to help. Uh, you can find her on Facebook as well, and it's S as in Sam, H-E-N-A-N-D-O-A-H is Shenandoah, and then Sheffalo is C-H-E-F as in Frank, A-L-O. Please look her up on Facebook. Even if you type in her first name, she'll probably pop up. You're lucky. <laughs> You're lucky that's, you know, when your name is Amy, <laughs> it's hard to find. <laughs> but um, I want people to find you because I think you're such a gift to so many struggling families or, or you are a blessing to families that are thinking about getting involved in helping vulnerable children. So I want them to go. I want everybody to go to garbagebagsuitcase.com. Check out this book. Find Shenandoah on social media. And please do feel free also to email me at amy.raisingthebar at gmail.com with any questions or anything you may need as, uh, for guidance and getting in touch with the right kind of people. I, um, we're going to take a break in a moment, but I, I think it's good for us to talk about you moving forward in your life, graduating from high school, getting into college, and kind of just touch on the work that you had done before you finally realized you're like, crap, I need to face my stuff. <laughs> and I think and I think that crap I need to face my stuff moment is a moment that probably all of us can relate to in, in one way or another. And those moments are scary. Those moments, I confess, I tap dance around probably more often than I would like to admit when when things are going to drum up. The yuck. Bad things. Is, yeah, bad things. So I avoided you know, it successfully for 20 years, so I'm pretty good at the tap dance myself. You know, successful avoidance is, is, a, is a, <laughs> an art form, and I'm not sure I would recommend it to people. But I, knew, I know sometimes, again, when we talk about coping mechanisms, that's what, what happens to traumatized kids as we become adults that are trying to function quote-unquote normally um you know so I, I would love to touch on that and then talk about your work and what you're doing now and how we can encourage other people to go through that um again you're listening to Raising the Bar with my guest Shenandoah Shefflo uh, please visit garbagebagsuitcase.com to learn more about her her books we are going to take a quick break and we are going to be right back on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. There are over 147 million orphans and at-risk children in the world. 
It's a global problem, but you can make a huge difference. You can help from home or on the ground serving opportunities. Please visit amybrado.com and click on the Echo Foundation tab to request more information. Our vision is to build a self-sustaining ecosystem of ideas, individuals, and organizations equipped to carry out the mission of hope for every orphan in the world. Help us with our goal of helping every child in need. Visit amybrado.com. Have you considered expanding your family through adoption, but don't know where to start? Are you looking to get some answers and direction on how and where to start? Reach out to the community at the Echo Foundation. The Echo Foundation offers five distinct areas of support. For those children in need throughout the world, we are here to support you and guide you through your process and beyond. For more information, please visit amybrado.com and click on the Echo Foundation. That's amybrado.com and click the Echo Foundation. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Listening to Raising the Bar with Amy Bredo. We'd love to hear from you with any comments or questions about the show. The email address is amy.raisingthebar at gmail.com. That's amy.raisingthebar at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Hello, here we are again. Um, you're listening to Raising the Bar, and we are talking with Shenandoah Sheffalo today. We've been talking about her experience in foster care and um, just kind of her growth through it, and it really is growth. And Shenandoah, you just made me laugh in the break when you talked about how kind of facing your stuff was like your coming out party. So <laughs> let's talk yeah. about just, you know, you got out of foster care, you got into uh, college. Yeah. Let's, let's, yeah. let's hear it's about how life care. has been. Yeah. Went to college. Uh, it's not as glamorous as it sounds. You know, I had a hard transition to college. College took me a long time. I was completely on my own. Um, you know, attempted suicide during my first year of college and then ultimately had to get a job because I couldn't pay for my basic necessities in college, like toothpaste and deodorant, feminine hygiene products, and just things that most of us probably take for granted on a daily basis. Um, and so I actually took a job as a receptionist at a law office, uh, making barely minimum wage at the time, which was around like $3.25 an hour. And I apparently was really good at the job because I ultimately got promoted and I became a legal secretary and a legal assistant and a paralegal. And ultimately I started running law offices. But what I found in that experience in the law office is it was the first time I was surrounded by a professional college-educated people. You know, I had never really been around anyone with more than a high school education, um, and most of the people I knew didn't even have that. Did you finish college? I did ultimately finish college. okay. Okay. Quite some time because I I ultimately started working full-time. Okay. Um, And and so it took me more than the four years. It was not an easy path for me. Um, But being around those people, like, there was no reason to disclose my background Um, You know, they were pretty high-powered people, and um, I was trying to impress them, really. And so, also, nobody ever asks you that question, like, were you ever in foster care? It just doesn't really ever come up in (laughs) conversation, I don't think I've ever asked somebody that. (laughs) Yeah, lack of admission, you know, lack of asking and, and me not disclosing or admitting, you know, it just started to become the secret that I never really talked about. 
that went on for 20 years. Mm. So I got good at the tap dance that you were talking about and facing my stuff. But what happened was, was I was having more client interaction. And at this point, I had hired my husband, who was a law student at the time, for a job. And we decided to open a law practice together. And we had moved and opened this law practice. And we're really good at spending our 70 hours that week working before we had a child. And, you know, we're doing all of that stuff. And then I started realizing our clients, which is primarily in criminal defense arena of work, uh, seemed all the same but had different names, <laughs> right? Can so I stop you for just, one moment? Did your husband yeah. know that you had grown up like that? No. Interesting. No. Okay. It, it was really something that I kept a secret. He knew I had been in foster care, but we never really talked about the details. Okay. And so... Then I had, you know, years of doing this practice. We had staff I was managing and these clients, and I was starting to get burnout. And frankly, there was nowhere else for me to go in my career unless I wanted to go to law school, which I really did not want to do. And so talking to the clients, and I had this idea of, well, if what if I got some coaching, um, my coaching certificate? Because what we found is... You know, we always said clients never came to us because they won the lottery. It was always like a really bad point in their time, in their life. You know, they were going to jail. They were getting divorced. They were going bankrupt. All of these really negative things. Right. And what if we could turn that around and give them some coaching that would help them kind of take this as their low point and turn it around to positive things? So I went to the coaching classes. Um, They were super intense. It was all personal development stuff. And the inklings of my past started coming up when I was doing those classes, right? Locked in a hotel room for a couple of weeks by myself, right. a lot of time to think. Um, and, I, and I was really good. I pushed it away and said, nope, this is about the clients. This isn't about me. And then when I came back and started working with the clients, a lot of their past started coming up. And a lot of them were disclosing that they had been in foster care. And that was really the first time I started realizing oh, there were other people in foster care. You know, it had always seemed like it was just me, right? Because I had never told anybody. So I didn't know anybody else who had been in foster care. And I wasn't in support groups or any of that kind of stuff. And so I started Googling foster care statistics, and I was dumbfounded. I mean, I started crying when I saw that, you know, 1.6 million people in prison, and we think 1.3 million of them have been former foster youth. You are kidding me. No, and it didn't stop there. Homeless, you know, 80% of the homeless population is believed to be former fosters. The people who are using governmental assistance, teen pregnancy, substance abuse, all of these social issues that I was seeing in my office on a daily basis suddenly had a new meaning for me. And it was at that time, still kind of doing the coaching thing, I met this guy who asked me about my name, Shenandoah, And I told him this story from my childhood that had been told to me about how I got that name. And he came back to me and said, you know, I hate to tell you this, but that's not how you got your name. Um, I did some research and your, your story doesn't check out. And suddenly I, yeah, right. This, when my, the story my parents had told me about how I got my name was not how I got my name. It turns out. Why would he investigate you? That's creepy. Well, I, I think he was just interested in the story itself. And so okay. he was looking it up, and it turns out that's not the way it, it went. Okay. And so it got me thinking about my childhood and the movie, if you saw it, The Truman Show with Jim Carrey. Right. And what if everything in your life is a lie? 
<sighs> but it's what you know. Right. Like, at what point then isn't it a lie, right? Because it's everything you know. Right. So, she was so truth. He, he started encouraging me to write the book. And I said, I would only write the book if we could talk about how we could change the system. Because there's lots of books about the foster care system and people's dysfunctional journeys. I mean, almost any memoir you read, right, is, is right. a dysfunctional family in some way. And I want Well, I'm dying to know about how you got your name. Oh. Now well, I feel so like you need story. to tell that story. <laughs> yeah. Well, the story is, is that I was named after the Shenandoah Hotel in Las Vegas, um, which is where my parents had met. It turns okay. out that the Shenandoah Hotel in Las Vegas opened up five years after I was born. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Right? So I don't really know how I got my name or why I got my name, but the story that I had believed my entire life was, was where they met. Yeah. And so that was the, kind of the point where I said, okay, I've got to face my own stuff. And I started writing the book and the stories, uh, sharing them with my family, my husband and daughter first, who didn't know the stories, and then said, it's time to make a change in the system. Yeah. Like, people shouldn't have to feel this way. Yeah. And it's it's so sad because like we were touching on before there are so many people out there that are trying to do good and trying to help displaced kids uh and unfortunately a lot of times it is about the financial income that that affords families to to use to take care of their own biological children it doesn't mean every dime of that is spent on these foster kids and i understand that and it is definitely not a get rich quick scheme for anybody listening that might be total weirdos and think, oh, I'm going to get this other source of income. But it's unfortunate that some people think that way. Um, and so when in, in revealing your stories and everything, sorry, I want to get back to that. Mm-hmm. What, are, what are the major, this is a loaded question that could probably take hours too, but what are the big things that you see that are just absolutely not okay? And what are your suggestions or your course that you're taking in to change those? Yeah, so I have four things. Two that I say are short-term and two that are more long-term things that I've okay. changed. Short-term things that are crazy, right? Mandatory continuing education for foster parents. Um, there are some requirements for continuing education in some states for foster parents, but the states that do have them, it's pretty minimal. They can complete courses online. They can read a book. That's it. Like, they don't even have to have discussion about the book. They could just read a book. Okay. And that can count for continuing education. I would love to see us support that there are, there's real training and education for parents. Not foster parents, parents of all kinds, but foster parents specifically. When you're dealing with kids who are having real issues, um, that takes skills you don't necessarily have. And just because you're a good parent with your own biological children, doesn't mean you have the skills to relate to a kid from trauma, right? right. And so we, we need to make sure that we implement real changes so that parents can have the skills that they need and that we can support them as community members better. So that's one thing that to me is just really simple and easy, and I don't know why we're not doing it. The other thing that seems really <clears throat> easy and simple to me is matching kids better with foster families. So I always joke that if I have to watch another eHarmony commercial or Match.com commercial, <laughs> who will find my perfect mate in 20 questions or whatever it is. 
But yet, with these kids, we just look for available beds. And right. what a waste is that when we have maybe a beautiful 10-year-old boy who loves to get rough and tumble and dirty and, and loves to play and sweat it out in sports. But we match him with a family who loves trips to the library and robotics and science competitions. Neither of yeah. those things on their own are bad, but when we bring them together, it can cause friction in a family and be a bad fit. And when you have lots of those bad fits as a kid in care, it becomes to look like you have behavioral problems and it's right. a negative reflection on you. Right. Because we didn't want to take the time in the beginning to find someone that would be a good match for you. You know, it, right, and then it looks like it's a compliance issue with the kid, and it's it's not. Right. It's, it's just not them. So, you know, we have about four minutes till we close. Um, what kind of action are you taking now, or what what would you what would your call to action be for anybody listening right now? So, my call to action is this: Google foster care statistics and educate yourself about what's really going on in our country. There's five hundred thousand kids in this country in foster care. And those children turn 18 every day and become adults. And we as citizens need to understand that this is a big portion of our population and that it's affecting social issues that we care about and social issues that most of us don't want to pay for. And you need to be educated to understand what's happening and understand how the foster care system is perhaps at the root of those. Once you understand that, then you need to ask better questions of your friends, your neighbors, and the people that you vote for on what they're doing to change the foster care system and how we can better implement trauma in our communities to help children heal. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I know we've spoken about um, the program that Safe Families offers, and I know we have just a few moments, so we can't really uh, dive into that. That's a whole other program. But yeah. I think I think for people to educate themselves, that's great. And if anybody who's listening today, you know, if you are going to educate yourself and you really do want to get involved, I personally, in my experience with the Safe Families Organization, I highly recommend um, people to look into that. And, you know, that's a program that yeah. kind of stop, stops kids from getting lost in the system and they get that respite care that they need with the right families. And they also help the parents, which I think is another place that the foster care system fails. Um, yeah, there are some great programs in general. Um, there is an academic success coaching for kids who are aging out of foster care. Um, I am just trying to... the. Uh, Foster Care to Success is the organization. Their website is fc, the number two, success.org. But they have um, mentoring that's available, and actually it's all done via email and texting. They actually don't want you to have face-to-face interaction with your mentee. And it's all foster kids who are on their way to college. And they try to do really good matching. So I have a friend who's a writer, and she's matched with a journalist student who's in school in Missouri. And it's all about just mentoring them through that. You know, did you get your internship? Have you done this? What about that? What challenges are you having? And helping them kind of navigate that transition. That's a great way to get involved if you don't have the ability to have a ton of time, but you want to still do something to make a change. Wow, that's amazing. And that program, or just even that mentoring program sounds awesome. I think coaching is so huge. And I think in so many ways, coaching can feel overdone because everybody can be a coach. But in the same token, the beauty in that, I find, is that that's where the matches really come into play. 
So it's yeah. good that it's good that these systems are in place for the coaching. You know, everybody listening, again, I want to encourage you to go to garbagebagsuitcase.com um, where you can learn more about Shenandoah Sheffalo, what she's doing, the books that she has written, and you're also working on your next manus- manuscript, Hiking for Stillness. So I'm I'm curious about that one too. Also, <laughs> if you have any questions or comments or need any more information for this to conversation to continue or you need more information, please feel free to reach out. Um, through email at amy.raisingthebar at gmail.com and also look for Shenandoah Shuffalo on Facebook. I know you've got a personal page and a kind of a garbage bag suitcase type page I found you. I am a little bit yep. of a social social media stalker. So anybody listening to you, please feel <laughs> free to follow me on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Amy Bredo. Um, any last thoughts or, or advice or words you would leave with our listeners? Yeah, I just always try to end with something positive because some of this can always seem negative or, you know, preachy in some ways. But I just say, you know, we owe it to our most vulnerable citizens, our children, to take a chance to drop our fears and to move forward with love, forgiveness, and a commitment to make a change. Because together, when we focus on solutions, we can move forward into greatness. I love that. And I think that was such a... A great piece to leave people with. You know, I appreciate your time, um, Shenandoah. I thank you so much for the connection. I am really, really grateful that we were able to be connected through um, my girlfriend, Randy. So I'm, I'm so excited. I would love, love, love to have you back and learn more about um, what you're doing and what you're up to. We have just a few seconds here, so I want to make sure I don't cut us too short or go over, but... Um, <laughs> Again, thanks garbage bag so suitcase. Having, yeah, thanks so much for having me on, and I'm glad to come back anytime. And I have an open door policy for your listeners, so if they reach out to me, I'm happy to chat with them offline. Perfect, perfect. Well, again, thank you so much for being here today. Listeners, you're listening to Raising the Bar with me, Amy Bredo. I really look forward to your feedback. Everybody have a great day. Shenandoah, talk to you soon. Thanks. Thank you for tuning in to Raising the Bar. Please listen for another edition with your host, Amy Bredo, next Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now, get out there and keep raising the bar. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.